Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at verses 13 through 35. The message is entitled, Jesus Reveals Himself. Jesus has been crucified and he's been placed in the tomb. His apostles had abandoned him and the message of hope had seemed to have almost extinguished. But the various appearance of the risen Christ ignites the gospel message, the only hope in this world. There's no other hope. Hope gives you a certainty of the future. There's no other hope. We get one of these uh, accounts as um, two disciples here that were on the road to Emmaus when Jesus reveals himself in the most natural and personal progression. The passage is unique to um, the Gospel of Luke. It's found nowhere else. And so it's really a nugget that we have for us. The account of these two men walking on the road to Emmaus presents to us three reasons Jesus reveals himself to mankind, whether it be men or women here. Um, Let me read uh, verse 13 to 35 here. And now behold, two of them uh, were traveling the same day to the village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you uh, have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus and Nazareth who was a prophet mighty indeed and were before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to condemn to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel indeed. Besides all this, today's the third day since these things um, happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The account of these two men walking on the road to Emmaus presents to us three reasons Jesus reveals himself to mankind. First, to walk with men. He wants to walk with you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, open your heart to him this morning. You find that in verses 13 through 16. Secondly, to talk with men. Verses 17 through 27. And thirdly, to sup with men. 28 through 35. Intimate fellowship. Now, 
He begins here in verse 13 through 16. Jesus reveals himself to walk with men. And the phrase says men, we're talking about anybody. We all qualify, male, female, all in the same boat. Whether we know Christ or we don't know Christ, there's people who are saved, people that are not. We're not talking about being religious, but an intimate relationship. Notice here in verse 13, the two men were disciples of Jesus. Um, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to the village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. The scene opens for us with a call to pay attention, to pay heed. It's a very important aspect of it. The word there has the idea to take note um, mentally and, and visually. The old King James translates it low. The middle voice here is an imperative command, means that each person has to do them for themselves. When people hear the gospel, it's through the gospel, the word of God, that people uh, come to faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans ten seventeen says. It's not by emotions, not by feelings, not by someone's persuasion of you, but by you opening your heart to God. Well, God has a lot to say about the heart as we move through here. Jesus will deal with it. Um, the two men were going to Emmaus. Um, they were hoping Jesus was going to redeem Israel. They run when they get in the conversation of verse 21, they're going to tell that to Jesus. But they were discouraged since it's the third day. And they went with others also to the tomb and they found it empty as the women said. He'll t they'll tell them that in verse 24. And they were traveling on Sunday, the same day, which is indicated by that phrase, which takes them back to verse 1, the first day of the week, Sunday. They were going to Emmaus, the village, about seven miles. So it would take them maybe an hour or so approximately, and not much more than that. And Emmaus means warm baths. The location, probably some springs there. The location is unknown, but uh, Josephus and others mention it. And this is the, um, the only time the name Emmaus is found in the New Testament. As they're going back from the Passover, notice it's Sunday because if it was Saturday, the Sabbath, they could only travel five-sixths of a mile. And so they had to wait there till the next day. They're coming back on Sunday. Now look at verse 14. The two men were discussing the events regarding Jesus in Jerusalem. And they talked together of all those things which had happened. The things are not stipulated. But again, one of, some of those things will be stated to Jesus by the two from verse 19 down to 24 when we get there. Now, the indication of all these things um, pertain to their confident hope that led there to their crushing hopelessness. I mean, as long as Jesus was around, and even though there was difficulty, they, they listened, they, they saw, they, they captivated, they were convicted, they were assured, and all of a sudden, that's been taken away. And sometimes, you know, that happens in our own life, you know, we're walking with Jesus, we, oh man, the Lord's so good, this and that, and, and we start affiliating things that we can see and touch, and when they're taken away, we say, oh man, what's going on? And um, it's interesting because when you die, they're not even going to bury you with your shoes. Naked we came in, naked we leave. And we get distracted by these things. Not that there's anything wrong in things in themselves. It's when we put our trust and focus and our dependency upon those things 
before the kingdom of God. Remember, they had seen Jesus ride into Jerusalem fulfilling Zechariah 9.9 on the coal of a donkey. They uh, were excited because many of them as Jews, they had the theology in mind that Jesus was going to knock off Rome and set up the kingdom. That was the question of the disciples all the time to Jesus. Are you now going to set up the kingdom even after the resurrection? They never saw the church age. But instead they saw Jesus arrested, tried, crucified, and put to death. Now look at 15. The two men, as they spoke, were disappointed and perplexed. I mean, you've got a lot of things going on here. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. They were intensely involved in their conversation. As you can see, they're coming back from all these things and they're tossing it over. They're walking down this road. Um, the word converse simply means to speak, but the word reason means to speak in order to investigate and examine. It, it, things just don't fit. What, what, what he said and what I see and how I feel. And Does that sound familiar? <laughs> hmm. The word is also translated to argue or dispute in different contexts, but such is not the case here, but to examine. Now notice they were joined by the Lord Jesus, but um, they didn't know that it was him, which is interesting. Jesus suddenly uh, appears with them. And uh, this was a usual custom as people were traveling to the um, whether it be to the holidays at any of the three feast days or going back home, um, as people were walking, other groups would join them um, for fellowship and protection to be traveling uh, in a group rather than alone. Um, by the way, this is the first mention of um, the risen Savior by Luke here. Um, Jesus had um, a glorified body, as you know, at this point. And um, yet, there's no note of it made. There's nothing that they see different. Um, and in that body, he could travel from place to place instantly. Um, as you know, when the, he appeared to the apostles in John 20, 26, he just came right through the wall. He didn't use the door. He didn't knock. He just, there I am. So I'm looking for that new body more and more the longer I'm around here. Um, when you're young, you don't think so. You think you're a hulk or something, but... Time and gravity will take care of you. Um, you'll long for the new one a lot more than the old one. But um, Jesus went with them as they returned to Emmaus. They didn't object and um, they didn't suspect anything at all. And, and, and I wonder how often that is with us as Christians. When we drive off to work or we're doing something and, and Jesus is right next to us and ministering to us and speaking to us. And we're completely unaware that it's him. We just think it's me. I'm so smart. You know what I mean? I'm so spiritual. And, you know, and he's dealing with my heart. And, and, and then later on, I go, oh, that was the Lord. Uh, Trudy and I were just cleaning out some stuff. And I found some old notes when I used to work at Johnston Pump. Johnston Pump used to be a... Um, uh, they used to make sub pumps for Saudi Arabia and everywhere else um, uh, for oil and water and everything. It was right on Lone Hill, right off the uh, 
210. Now it's the Chevy dealer and the Toyota dealer. But uh, I had some pay stubs tucked away, and, 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 I, and I had written there as the Lord would minister unto me, and I, I write them down. I was just born again, 1974. I was born in 73, the next year I was working there. And just amazing just reading those things, remembering back, and, and, and just recollecting the Lord saving me and calling me and directing and all that. And it's just great stuff, man, uh, to remember all of that. Um, Notice the two men were hindered from seeing him, verse 16, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. The word restrained simply means to be held um, uh, from being able to recognize him. And the passive tense indicates the agent was God. You know, sometimes God will just open our eyes or sometimes God will just close our eyes to certain things until the right time. He's perfect. He's very intimate. He's very personal. And he knows what's best for our life. Um, The same will be true when he opens their eyes in verse 31. Now, the various times Jesus was not recognized uh, are recorded for us. In Luke 16, 12, it says, After that, he appeared to another form, uh, in another form, to two of the men who walked and went into the country, which is Mark's commentary on this passage. Though Luke only has it, Mark alludes to it right here. And John tells us Mary Magdalene um, thought Jesus was the gardener in John twenty fifteen. Now notice God desires to walk with man. This is the whole thing. From the beginning of time. God didn't create Adam and Eve because he was lonely. Or because he wanted somebody to hang out with him. But he desires intimate fellowship with his creation. Adam and Eve walked with God. And Enoch walked with God. And once after God took him. This is what God desires. He desires that you walk with him. Every day of your life. God delights in the conversation of his people. As you walk with him, as he walks with you. Malachi 3.16 says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. When you're just casually walking around work and talking to other believers or you're sharing with someone else, God's listening. When you're at home and you're there with your wife, your children... Whatever it is, um, he, he hears everything. He delights in your conversation about him and his goodness and, and your understanding that he, he knows what's going on in your life. Jesus reveals himself to those who are conversing and reasoning with um, the things of God. Um, to seek to investigate the purposes, the plan of God. Lord, what do you have for my life? And sometimes our prayers are like information uh, commercials, you know? Uh, we got to tell the Lord and we, and, and we give him all this information. And then before we say, man, oh, and Lord, and, and, and like, like he doesn't know. Where our prayers should be, Lord, I don't know what you have for me today, Lord, but here I am. Guide me, direct me. Let, let me be sensitive to you, Lord. Give me the wisdom. Lord, how do I handle this situation? Not to inform him about the situation. He knows all this. But Lord, let me be sensitive. 
Abrams 3.3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? It's a rhetorical question with only one correct answer. It's no. We agree with God. He does not agree with us. We agree with him according to his word. And he walks with us. And he's faithful. And see, Jesus reveals himself to those who walk by faith, not by sight. Second Corinthians 5, 7. In other words, not by emotions, not by feelings, not by what I see. Not because he's blessed me, but because I understand his word. Faith always points you back to the word of God. If you want to know if you have biblical faith, is your faith refer you back to the word of God. Objective truth. If it doesn't, if it contradicts God's word, your faith is not biblical faith. It's foolishness. The word of God, ladies and gentlemen. And so Jesus revealed himself to walk with these men. Secondly, notice in verse 17 through 27, Jesus revealed himself to talk with men. Jesus wanted to talk to them about their sadness. He knows all that's going on. Jesus asked the two men the topic of their conversation that was so gracious, egregious to them. I mean, they're just bummed out. Listen to the words. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Now, the Lord Jesus knew about it. He wasn't asking information. But many times God speaks to us to prompt us to pour our heart out to him. But too often, I think we're more interested in talking to men than to God. Uh, we, we try to discourage you from depending on us. We're here to point you to Jesus Christ and his word. That doesn't mean that we cannot pray for you or pray with you or you pray for us or with us. But we understand the one we depend on is the Lord Jesus. Very, very important. The word sad there means downcast, sullen. I mean, they're bummed. Notice Jesus was responded to with amazement. I mean, these guys, as they hear his words in astonishment, then the one whose name is Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Wow. Are you a foreigner? We don't know who Cleopas was, nor the other. But Mary, his wife, was at the cross. John 19, 25 tells us we saw that on Good Friday. So they were a godly couple. Loved the Lord, following them. But somebody threw a monkey wrench in the gear. Something's happened here. It just kind of bumped in the road. Had any of those? <laughs> Life has many bumps in the road, ladies and gentlemen. That's why we need Jesus. Notice in shock, he asked Jesus, And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? We certainly by this time assumed that he was a stranger that just had arrived after all of this. In verse 20, 19 and 20, Jesus inquired about these things now. Jesus asked, and he said to them, What things? Both responded at the same time about the ministry of Jesus. 
They're just so bummed and now all these questions and, and they're just so eager. At the same time, they identified Jesus, first of all, by his humanity, which is amazing. He says, so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. A literal man occupied a space and time, not a phantom. They identified Jesus by his anointing, who was a prophet mighty indeed and were before God and all the people. Prophet like unto Moses, prophesied in Deuteronomy 18.15. Notice both of them told about the betrayal and death of Jesus and how the chief priests and our rulers, interesting, our rulers, delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. The primary culprits were the Jewish leaders who handed him over to Pilate. Look at 21. Jesus then wanted to talk to them about their loss of hope. I mean, Jesus is dealing with all the different perspectives of what's going on. We, we, we get so excited about a man or a pastor and all that, and we just, oh, he's the I got to talk to him, nobody else. He, and I know I, he's the one, he, I know he, he's a man like anybody else. Jesus knows everything. He will deal with every aspect of your situation. So we encourage you to wrestle with Jesus first. Go to him. Then you just can't see your way. We're more than willing to sit and pray with you and talk with you. But with Jesus, you're guaranteed solution. With us, eh, 50-50, you know what I mean? Both have had confidence and trusted Jesus to be the Messiah. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. The word but marks the sharp contrast here between their high hope and their crushing hopelessness, pointing back to the death. The word redeem, as you know, means to release on receipt of a paid ransom. Uh, scriptures tell us that Jesus redeemed us from the slave market. Um, market of, of, of sin. Uh, we were slaves to sin. We, whatever you fill in the blank, whatever you came out of, but all of us by sin nature are subject to sin and we can't say no to sin. And by God's grace, when we come to him, he gives us a new divine nature, but we're not perfect or sinless, but we do live differently now. And we're very aware between what pleases God, what doesn't please God. And he's there as an intercessor to keep us in fellowship, but there's a big difference now. And so, the word redeem here is in the infinitive, literally the one about to pay the ransom or price and thus deliver Israel. You see, they their, their focus was just on on the theology that Israel was it. Now you've got the reverse theology today. You got what's called replacement theology that Fuller Seminary teaches and APU and the majority of churches. This is it. That God is through with Israel and all he's working through is the church. Nothing could be further from the truth. What do you do with Romans 9, 10, and 11? 
What do you do with Revelation from chapter 6 to 18? What do you do with all the prophets, major and minor? What do you do with them? Well, this is what they do. They scratch out Israel and they put the church in there. You're changing the word of God. It messes you up prophetically. Wow. Their hope was in resurrection. It's the third day, verse 20 and 21. Notice both were shaken in their faith about Jesus as Messiah. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. They said, if all this was not bad enough, indeed, besides all this, <laughs> you've been there, right? This, that, no, now what else? They said, worse yet, today is the third day since these things happened. He was crucified on Friday, right before sundown. It is Sunday. Look at 22 and 24. Jesus wanted to talk to them next about their confusion. Concerning the affirmed report by the women in the tomb, because a lot of things are happening at the same time. They identified them as disciples of Jesus. He says, yes, in certain women of our company, believers, Mary Magdalene, uh, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, Salome, you find this in Mark 16, 1, and also in verse 10 here. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, as you know, and told her, don't cling to me. I have not ascended to my father as yet. Go tell my brethren in Luke, uh, or in John 20, verse 16 through 17, and, and different occasions. So all these things are going around. People are getting these uh, different reports. And they indicated the time, he says, who arrived at the tomb early. So news is traveling fast. In the morning, they were brought spices to anoint the body of Jesus, as verse 1 of this chapter tells us. They discussed, uh, the women were discussing, who's going to move the stone when we get there? Mark 16, 3. And yet when they got there, Matthew 28, 2 says an earthquake took place and the angel rolled it away and then sat on the stone and said, hey, how are you guys doing? Well, typical, we worry about so much, things that are never going to happen, but at least we worry, right? Who's going to move the stone? Don't worry about it. My stone. I put it there. Hmm. Look, notice they're, they're confused individuals here at this point, their inability to make sense of it all. All this confusion, it's real. Astonished as it says there in verse 22. It means to throw into wonderment, being dumbfounded. Can't connect the dots. It's just about God. Then I just, I, 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 I can't get it. You remember, I don't know, they do fractions anymore? <laughs> um, common denominators? Man, that was a hard, but once you got it, the light went on, I got it. But man, for that light to go on. They gave the reason when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. So both men and angels are, are, are 
Saying these things, the tomb was empty. Two angels with shining garments were at the tomb and asked the women, Why do you seek the living among the dead? In verse 4. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Mark 16, 6. Now we're going to be in Israel in a couple of months. Some of you are going with us. We're going to walk in that tomb. And it says there, he is risen. He's not here. <laughs> I walked in that tomb probably 25, 30 times. Still empty. Concerning the confirmed witness of the apostle Paul and John also in verse 24. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said. John outran Peter. John tells us in chapter 20 verse 3 and 4. He was younger. And Peter and John found the tomb empty. But him they did not see it says. In verse 24 here, John stooped in. He looked. But Peter went right in. Then John followed. They saw and believed. John 20, verse 5 through 8. Wow. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ. You don't believe. Maybe you think this is just, you know, it's nice being religious um, Christmas and Easter. You know what I mean? But see, our nation has become so anti-Christ to an extent that they don't even want the holiday to have any association at spring break. It's winter break. Thank God that we've got a little change of tone right now and we were able to be encouraged and even uh, uh, gladly um, told to imitate say Merry Christmas <laughs> and yet what do you have if you don't have open Christ are you your hope maybe a million dollars in the bank do any of you believe you're going to live forever without being a Christian with God make no mistake you will live forever but not with God Every person has eternal life. When you make a decision for Christ, all you're doing is making the decision where it is that you want to spend that eternity. That decision is made before you die, not afterwards. Notice verse 25 through 27. Jesus wanted to talk to them about their lack of understanding of God's word. Notice he brings them back to the word. He rebuked them. For their unbelief, then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. The word foolish means without sense or understanding. The word is translated unwise and foolish in Romans 1.14 and Galatians 3.1. Notice he stated the cause of their unbelief. Are you ready? Slow of heart to believe. The word slow means dull, sluggish, unresponsive to trust the prophets that they had spoken. Is the problem with their brains? No, their heart. Cardia. Cardiologist. A heart doctor, right? That's what Jesus, he's a heart doctor. 
the seed of personality, the intellect, the emotions, and the will, who we really are. That's what he deals with. We're, we're not that smart. Some people think, well, you know, I've had a lot of education. That's why I really can't believe, you know, such thing as the gospel and the resurrection. Problem's still not your brains. You're not that smart. It's your heart. All of us. Our heart is evil, desperately wicked. Do you believe that? Jeremiah 17.9 and many other passages say. If you don't believe that, God can do nothing for you. Absolutely nothing. Because you'll always trust yourself. Somehow you think that God owes you something. Somehow you, way you think you can merit heaven. It's a contradiction. God is so serious, he signed it in blood. That's blood of his son. He didn't send his son to die in our place just to move us emotionally. He sent his son to die in our place and raise him from there because he is the only hope for mankind. The only hope. They believed in a conquering Messiah at that time. They were unwilling to receive a suffering Messiah first. The blindness in part to Israel. Notice 26. He reproved them for misunderstanding the first coming of Jesus. Very specific. I mean, he's giving them a Bible study here. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? His sufferings were prophetic. Had to be fulfilled. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 55, and so many, many others. The word ought there means necessity, obligation. Acts 4.12, Acts 5.29. Prophecies of entering his glory would follow when Jesus speaks to the Father, prays to him in John 17. That is really the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer in Matthew 5 is not the Lord's Prayer. Jesus could have never prayed that because it's asking for the forgiveness of sins. He had no sin. He's showing the disciple what their prayer should contain. After this manner, pray. And he shows the pattern. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17. As he asked God to glorify him with the glory which he had before the world was, before he came. Now, notice he instructed them by pointing himself out in the scriptures. This is always the case. Any pastor who doesn't point Jesus out in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation is not a servant of God. He may be clever. He may be funny. He may just, you just, oh man, he just has these nice little phrases and that. He, oh, and he says, God, you know, and all this kind of stuff. If he doesn't point Jesus, he's worthless. He's like a, like a cow that doesn't give milk. Like a gun without a bullet. A lock without a key. Worthless. Absolutely worthless. And let me share with you, with a broken heart, that there are many worthless pastors today that are not telling people how to get to heaven. In fact, they're hindering them from getting there. And they're going to hell. That is a tragic, tragic truth today in America, ladies and gentlemen. It breaks my heart. Beginning in Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
The five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, pointing himself out everywhere. All the prophets, minor, major prophets, all of them. The word expounded means to unfold the meaning, he, he, to explain it. He read it. Um, he gave the sense, the interpretation. And he says, that's me. <laughs> wow, I wish we had that record. You know, the father reveals himself to the son as he was walking on earth all the time. Jesus always went out to speak to the father to pray from the morning and he would receive his direction for that day. And um, so Jesus spoke with the father daily. That's the example and the pattern for us. That's why he came as the last Adam to give us the, uh, the footsteps to follow. And if I will spend that time in the morning and just simply, it doesn't that take long. It's just, Lord, here I am. I'm, I'm ready for my day. Please go before me. Cleanse me. Protect me. Let me be sensitive to you. And that I depend on him from the minute I get up. Before I get out of bed, Lord, go before me. Before my feet touch the ground. Because, man, I'll tell you, warfare is on. You are born into warfare. Okay? The guy with the red PJs is right there at the foot of the bed. Can I help you? Then you get up on your feet and your flesh is there. Can I help you? And you walk out the door and the world's there. Can I help you? That's a heck of a trinity. Trinity of darkness. There will be times in our lives, ladies and gentlemen, of great sadness and disappointment. And that's why we need to walk with Jesus. I wish I could tell you my life has been just pie in the sky. I'm just like you. There's disappointments. There's heartaches. It could be your job situation after having gone to college. Now you can't get a job. Now you've got these big loans. It's a real problem today. It could be your marriage. Maybe it hasn't turned out the way you expected it. But maybe it's because you were looking for a perfect person and you thought you found them. You thought you got a little goldfish and you found Jaws. You see, the problem is we have a list and we're looking for the right person instead of trying to be the right person and prepare to be the right person. So really, God doesn't disappoint us. We just get busted. Hmm. Well, let's move on. I know there's nothing with you guys, but um, it could be the path your children have taken. You know, you've been faithful to take them to church and teach them and supervise them and try to bring consequences and pray for them. And they've chosen to walk away from God or not to walk with God at all. That's a heartbreak for a parent. But yet you must remain true to God and show them the light and always remind them of God's love and that um, they need to repent, they need to turn. I've always told my children, if you guys end up in hell, it will be with your dad warning you all the way to the very last breath that you give. Because when someone loves you, they tell you the truth, whether you want to hear it or not. If someone doesn't love you, they're going to tell you whatever you want. They're weather vanes. It just depends which way the wind's blowing. Welcome to the world today. People hate objective truth. Judging? Ooh, let's not even talk about that. Well, you try to drive home today 
without making a judgment whether it's a red light, a yellow light, or a green light. Let's see how far you get. Or when you balance your checkbook, you know, ignore it if it's a one or a three, whatever. Just put down whatever. You think it's going to work? Now, why do we think it's going to work for life and for eternity? It just doesn't. Listen to Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, you may find yourself in a very difficult position right now, but you, you walk with God. You trust the Lord. You be obedient. You let him direct and guide you. He'll bring you through. At other times in our lives, we will um, be very confused and think it, all hope is gone, lost. No one's going to be around there to encourage you. You're going to be all alone. Just you. It could be you received some news about having cancer. Maybe your wife, your husband, maybe your child. It could be that you are married to an unbeliever. Now you've come to the Lord after you got married. And it's a difficult situation. It makes the home real difficult. Or maybe you're married to one who says they're a Christian, but they're 100% beef. They're carnal. They live like they're not. Difficult. Then you must pray. You must ask God to give you wisdom. You must be that salt. You must be that light. Could be your job. Maybe you've been phased out or maybe you've been forced into early retirement. These are realities of life. No one escapes them, not one of us. So it's in those times when no one's around and it's something real personal, perhaps, that you have to be like the psalmist here, Psalm 42, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. You have to encourage yourself. In the Lord, not in you. There's no hope in you or me. It's not the ability we have. Our hope is in God, in Him alone. There should always be a very keen awareness of our lack of understanding to the Scriptures, regardless of how long we've walked with God, so that uh, we're ever dependent on the Lord to speak to us. As I read, as I... um, Hear his voice that he speaks to me as I study and uh, allow him to turn on that light so that things become clear to me, um, that he's directing and guiding me. And again, I don't depend on my feelings or emotions because they come and go. But I want to depend on God's objective truth and the things that he affirms and opens up and closes. Uh, The scriptures declare the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statue of the Lord is right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yes, than more, much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, than the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is worn. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Psalm 19, 7 through 11. 
Every word that he uses, he's using it as an aspect of the word of God. The church is lacking today the teaching of the word of God. They don't appreciate it. The word of God is wheat. You get strong with wheat, not the shaft. Wheat. The shaft, you after you crush the wheat, you throw it up and you let the air just blow the shaft away. A gentleman just came up to me in the park and he asked me to pray for him. And he shared some stuff with me and I prayed with him. And, and I asked him, I said, do you go to church? Do you study the Word of God? He said, well, once in a while. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Do you eat breakfast every morning? How about lunch? How about dinner? Do we think we're going to get stronger by not eating the Word of God? It's absolutely necessary, ladies and gentlemen. You'll never get strong without God's Word. Never. And so Jesus reveals himself to talk with these men. He wants to talk to you and me every day. Notice thirdly here in 20 through 35, Jesus revealed himself to sup with these men. This is the final thing. Jesus sups with those who personally invite him. Notice this. The two arrived at Emmaus. Then they drew near to the village where they were going. Seven miles, about an hour or so, normal pace. And um, the time came for Jesus to depart. He didn't say he was going there. He just comes alongside them. And Jesus acted as he was going to continue traveling. And he indicated that he would have gone further or farther. And Jesus doesn't force believers, notice, or unbelievers to believe or not believe or walk or not to walk. He doesn't impose himself upon anybody. We've all been around people that are, they, they, just, they just impose themselves, you know, and you're saying, all right, all right, all right, buddy, why don't you, I'll see you later. People that just, but many of these people are, are people that have nobody at times. And sometimes some people are just obnoxious, you know, we've all known. It happens, okay? Hopefully you learn through life. But, but Jesus never imposes himself upon anybody. He's a perfect gentleman. Um, the two were concerned about Jesus. Interesting, traveling alone. He says, but they constrain him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. The word constrain simply means to compel by force. So it wasn't something, hey, oh, it's okay. No, they, they, they literally didn't want him to go alone. Uh, the context marks care and concern. Notice that. It is found one other time for Paul and staying at Lydia's house in Acts sixteen fifteen, as she forced and she didn't want him to go anywhere else. As she, he brought the gospel. Jesus accepted and he went in to stay with them. The word abide simply means to remain, to continue. It's used to Jesus when he speaks, unless you abide in me, I'll cut you off and cast you to the fire, John 15. He goes from the branches to the disciples. By the way, he's talking to the disciples. No one else when he says that. Abide means that you remain, you stay, you're not moved. The night was upon them. Traveling alone was dangerous. Robbers. When you get to 30 and 31, Jesus opens the eyes now of those who broke bread with him. He's been walking with them. They haven't objected. They asked him to come in, invited him. 
So Jesus desires personal intimate fellowship. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them. And the word table is to recline. As you know, the Jews didn't, we're not talking about sitting at a Western table with plates and forks and napkins and all. You're sitting at a table on the floor, not far from the ground, and you lean back on the on pillows and one elbow and the other one you eat. And um, they would be very comfortable and relaxed and enjoyed each other's company. Uh, they didn't like us, you know, we order the taco at the drive through and it's gone before we hit the curb. I mean, you know, it's just a little different. Um, Jesus is always the host, notice, um, never the guest, even um, though he is invited it says that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. The minute you invite Jesus in, he takes over. If you let him be master, he'll run your life. But the minute you say, not there, he doesn't force himself. He'll convict you. He'll deal with you. But he doesn't force you. You're not a robot as a Christian. You're exercising your will every, every day for everything. Jesus acted as the master of the house. He gave thanks. All partook. Each dipped into the bowl. You know, they didn't have, you know, no double dipping rule or anything. They just break off bread and dip in and dip again. And what was nourishing me was nourishing you. And we were really becoming one there, okay? Um... Notice Jesus reveals his presence to those who spend time with him. Then their eyes were open and they knew him. You have those moments at times as a Christian? You're just off alone doing your daily reading and all of a sudden God just ministers to you and just directs you and comforts you or encourages you or deals with you? I hope so. I hope so. I hope you're not looking just to a pastor to always um, try to keep you on the straight and narrow. Nothing wrong with pastors, but they're just men like anybody else. It's the Lord. The word open there means to cause their eyes to recognize him, removing that restraint. Um, the arrow is passive. Indicates here the eyes were open instantaneously. Just Bam! It just happens. The word new means fully perceive. Gnosko is to know, but epi is the intensified form. I mean, they knew. Just as you have come to Christ, you know that he is the savior of the world. You know that he died for your sins. You know that he forgave your sins. You know that he's coming back again. You know there's an eternity. And you know that the only way to get into eternity and to be with God is being born again and repenting from your sins. You know that you know. There's no argument about it. There's no confusion about it. It's just the way it is. That isn't because we're so smart. Because Jesus has turned that light on by illumination. Wow, what a privilege. How fortunate we are. Jesus vanishes. As he appeared, 
He's gone. <laughs> Interesting. In 32, Jesus deals with their heart here, the heart of man. The two bore witness to the work Jesus did in their hearts. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us? They confirmed the supernatural work that took place on both of their hearts. This has nothing to do with emotions. It has nothing to do with feelings. But with the conviction, illumination, and revelation. The heart is always the problem. Always. Jeremiah 17, 9. Deceitful, desperately wicked. The word burn there means is to set on fire. How is your heart towards the Lord? I was born in 1973, born again in 1973, and I, I, we were looking for the Lord. I mean, I didn't think I'd ever have kids. I never thought I'd get married. I did. Okay, now my kids are gone. My, you know, my grandkids are um, they're tall. They're taller than me. That's not to say much, but they're, they're passing you up. You know, kids keep growing, but you don't as an adult. But is, is your heart on fire today? Are you looking for the coming of the Lord? Are you looking for the rapture? Are you looking to see to share the Lord? Are you looking to tell people because we see the nation so lost, people so indoctrinated in so many different things that just destroy and deceive them? And it's not just our nation. It's the world, ladies and gentlemen. It's the world. The two knew exactly when it took place. While he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. It always comes down to the scripture, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus talked with them on the road. Jesus interpreted the scriptures and he spoke about himself. Notice there lastly in 33 to 35, Jesus having made himself known to the two, they had to tell others to share their faith. You cannot keep this stuff. They wasted no time, so they rose up the very hour and they returned to Jerusalem. The fact that it was night didn't make any difference. The truth that had been revealed to them, it had to be told to others. And so they went back to the apostles and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. The eleven, like, is a phrase like the twelve. Judas is scary, is gone. Uh, Philip is not there. I'm Tom, sorry, Thomas is not there. And they confirmed, notice, Jesus was alive. Simple. Simple message saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Here's again one, one more account to add. Risen, past fact, verifying the report that Jesus appeared to Peter. We have it all throughout scripture. And they gave witness about the personal experience with Jesus. Notice this. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in breaking bread. So everything is tied back to the personal relationship, intimate relationship with God, how he made that known, but it's tied to the scriptures. They recognize him as they broke bread. And that's intimate fellowship. That's where you walk with God. You spend that time with God. You don't just come to church, but you are the church. You don't come to hear a man. You come to hear God speak to your heart, to direct you, to give you wisdom. You cry out to him. You show him your, 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 your need of him. Remember Simon the Pharisee's heart was Jesus. He had been invited by him to eat. And he was setting Jesus up. And, and the prostitute came in and washed Jesus' feet. And he said to himself, if this man were a man of God, he would know what manner of woman she is. Jesus 
looked to Simon and says, Simon, I have someone to ask you. He says, Master, say on. He says, there was two debtors. One owed pennies, the other one millions. They were forgiven, both of them. Which one would love the most? He says, he thought himself smug. Well, of course, the one who owed the most. He says, you see this woman? She loves much because she was forgiven much. You see, Simon saw a prostitute, a whore. He didn't see a forgiven person. How do you look at people? Look around, ladies and gentlemen. We would never hang out together if we weren't Christians. <laughs> Family of God, I love it. When you become a Christian, man, your world becomes huge. We live in such a small world without Christ. The problem is we hang out with people like us. That's not good. I'm sure that Jesus is more excited about fellowshipping with me than I with him at times. It's embarrassing sometimes to be a Christian. He can be crowded out by my schedules, my plans, my little ideas, whatever it is. Psalm 5, 1 through 4 says, Give ear to my word, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray my voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning I will direct it to you. And I will look up, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. That conscious awareness of who God is, who I am, what he desires. The heart of the message of the gospel is the resurrection, the proclamation of that. Ladies and gentlemen, it's throughout the scriptures in Acts 2 and the day of Pentecost. Peter proclaimed it clearly. Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 15 that if you, do, if you don't believe that the dead are raised and the gospel is in vain, we're lying, deceiving people. Um, and, and the motive behind all this is the love of God. The first thing is to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul of our neighbors ourselves. This is the second. If you don't love God first, the vertical, you're going to love people on your own conditions. 29 of Jeremiah 12 through 13 says, Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me. When? When you search for me with all your heart. Not feelings, not emotions. The heart. The sacrifice of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Psalm 51, 17. So maybe you don't know Jesus. He stands at the door and he knocks at your heart right now. I want to forgive you. I want to save you. Will you open that door and let me in? Will you allow me to walk in and clean out that dirty closet? Can I walk in your bedroom, look under the bed and get that stuff out? I want to just do some work for you. I want to show you how to live. I want to take all your sins and put them in the deepest ocean. I want to cast them as far as east as the west. I want to make you my child, my son, my daughter. Wow. That's what he's asking you this morning. Jesus reveals himself to sup with these men as he does with you. This is his desire. And so the two men walking on the road to Emmaus has presented for us the reason why Jesus reveals himself to walk with men, to talk with men, and to sup with men. And that's anybody who's a sinner.
male or female, it doesn't make any difference. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your grace and love, your goodness. We pray that your hand be upon us. We pray for those who have heard your word on the internet and here. And Lord, now you do that work that only you can do. If they don't know you, Lord, that, Father, they would understand how much you love them and what you want to do for them. As you're praying, if this is your desire, as God has ministered to you, he can save you, he can cleanse you right now by grace through faith, not by any merit, but by grace through faith. If this is your desire, this is your prayer of repentance, asking God to forgive you and to make you his child. Very simple prayer. If you mean it, you'll never be the same. This is your prayer to him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.